0: Welcome back to 52 and 52, a podcast where we watch at least one movie a week for every week in the year and do an episode about it. Today's episode is on all the money in the world, and Anthony is unfortunately taking this week off because he was having some serious internet problems all day today and is going to have to get a totally new modem, so, uh, and I he, I, I kind of made him go see this movie so now I feel kind of bad he's having to miss out on it because he wasn't too excited about it in the first place. He he sent me a few thoughts later, but uh, that I'll, I'll share later, but instead I'm joined by my friend Fred Cobb, who is a college friend of mine and Fred I think we've been talking about having you come on the podcast for probably like within a couple months of me for starting it so almost two years now so thank you for joining us and I'm glad we're finally able to do this
1: not at all. Thank you for letting me uh, crash the party, and hopefully, I can contribute some very intelligent and insightful commentary on this movie.
0: Well, I was excited to have Fred on because uh, he, he's, he's saying hopefully he can contribute something intelligent. I know what I know it'll be intelligent because Fred writes at length about movies on Facebook, and he writes these like 500-word Facebook posts where it's like, "Wow, this is way more <laughs> eloquent than anything I could probably write about the movie." I just I, I just talk about it. But what's funny is that like I know Fred's a smart person, but we disagree a lot. Like um, in general, like I don't I don't always talk to you about when I disagree, but I. I really read a lot of your stuff, and, like, just, like, a, I remember thinking a couple of the movies that, like, you were, like, super high on last year, the last couple of years, like, I just wasn't that big on at all, like, I, I, like, and, like, I remember, like, I think each of the last couple of years, like, stuff like... I don't know, like, we, we agree on stuff too, but it's just like, I remember something like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them you loved, and you love Moana, and other uh-huh. stuff like that, and like I just stuff I wasn't that high on, and so it's like, sometimes it's like, oh, I think that person's stupid, I don't really respect their opinion that much, but I genuinely think Fred's a smart person, and sometimes, like, some of his favorite movies are ones I just don't care for, and I didn't even read what you wrote about all the money in the world, because I like going into these things, being pretty just not knowing much like about what anthony Anthony and i don't really share our thoughts that much before we do it so i figured i would do it like this so i don't really exactly know what your reaction to this movie was but uh for the people that for, for the uninitiated all the money in the world is about the Getty kidnapping, where uh, John Paul Getty, the founder of Getty Oil at the time, the g- richest man in the world, hence the movie title, which is also said in the movie, um, his grandson is kidnapped and held for ransom, but he doesn't want to pay him. And uh, it's kind of where it goes from there is this becomes what? everyone thought it would be a short ordeal turns into a long ordeal because no one in the family besides him has the money to pay off his kidnappers uh fred i think even before the i think we talked a little bit about this movie even before uh the whole thing with kevin spacey happened and they had to reshoot it or maybe maybe it was right around that time i'm not sure but we, we had just been going back and forth like i was like hey i still want to have you on the podcast let me know what movie you want to do and i thought you were going to tell me like i don't know like Shape of Water or Three Billboards Outside of Missouri, one of these big Oscary ones, because we were coming up on Oscar season. You said, no, I really want to talk about this. So, uh, what, I'm a man of simple tastes. Well, so. I don't even know if it's simple. I was just like, I, it was just kind of random. And I thought, like, maybe you were going to pick one of the ones that was, like, really getting a lot of Oscar buzz. And you said, no, I, I want to talk about this. So what what about this movie had you, like, the most intrigued? And uh, what were your expectations going in? And uh, did you ultimately like it?
1: So I think the interesting thing about All the Money in the World is – and. I'm pretty sure we first talked about it right after the whole Kevin Spacey story broke loose. Gotcha. Um, I think this wouldn't have been a very relevant or important movie in the grand scheme of things if that hadn't happened. It would have been a very subdued release for Ridley Scott, who is not really known for being a director, who takes a less is more approach to his films. Usually he'll take a very grand scheme approach, throw a whole bunch of stuff into it. And some of it will stick, and some of the stuff just won't work. But All the Money in the World was a very, um, I guess, low-key project, you could almost call it. Yeah, I didn't, stick-
0: I, didn't, I didn't even know he had it in the works. You know, usually he's doing, huh? he, I mean, like Blade Runner or the Alien movies or The Martian. It's bigger scale stuff. And right, this was like was his this,
1: big sword and sandal epics, Kingdom of Heaven. know about
0: well in advance, and I didn't even know what this movie was till I first saw the trailer. You know, like he's doing big franchise stuff, and this wasn't that, even though it was a big story when it happened. So I get what you're saying.
1: Yeah, and it's a very intriguing story, too. Um, and that's kind of how I expected the movie to play out. as a very uh, intriguing, true crime thriller, mainly because, as you mentioned already, a lot of this stuff, really, there was no need for it to happen. The only reason why it became such a prolonged saga was because one old guy who held all the cards mm-hmm. decided that um, he didn't want to play ball. Bon. Mm-hmm. And I was really fascinated to see how The movie would approach that and whether well at first it would have been Kevin Spacey but whether Christopher Plummer would have actually uh, been able to kind of overcome the huge expectations that people placed in the role because there was so much drama surrounding it right and I'm sure we'll talk about his performance a little bit later but just as far as the movie is concerned yeah it was right around what I expected okay very well done, very well shot, some pretty solid performances, especially from Michelle Williams, who I think has kind of gotten to the point where she has perfected the role of the kind of desperate, frantic mother, um, Manchester and the Sea, come by the Sea comes to mind. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also thought that there were parts where the pacing was a little bit off. And I don't know if this is an issue with the execution or just the material, But nobody really in this film has a lot of agency to get stuff done because the ball is completely in Grandfather Getty's court. Right. He has all the money, he holds all the cards, and he is unwilling to play any of them. So there were decent chunks of the movie that just involved Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Williams kind of sitting by the phone waiting for the kidnappers to call.
0: I, yeah, and I want to pick up on one thing you said because I think that's, a, that's one way I hadn't thought about it in that like, they were just uh, – they didn't have a lot of agency. I would say the interesting thing that you said that I almost – you were saying how he usually makes a lot of movies where he throws a bunch of stuff against the wall and sees what sticks. And I, mm-hmm. actually, I actually do think this was kind of that for me because some of it worked better than other stuff. One being that sure. like, I don't necessarily need a movie about like what it's like to be kidnapped. I feel like we've seen a lot of that before. And mm-hmm. I've, I've seen various things various versions of that in other movies where someone's being held by captors they talk to the captors here's the scene where they got to let him out to go to the bathroom here's the scene where he escapes that mm-hmm. none of that felt that new to me so I, I actually like I actually would have liked to in and, and I get I get that you what you're saying about how that puts a ceiling on what Michelle Williams and Mark Wahlberg can do and their characters don't have a ton of power but I still found what was going on with them more interesting than what was going on with uh, Getty the third and the kidnappers uh-huh. and What's interesting is that, like I don't i mean, you got to show some of that stuff, I guess. I just don't know how much of it they had to show because it really the, the, did how much of this did you know beforehand? like how much of the story did you know? did you know what how it ended like going in like how much of the true story were you informed on?
1: I knew some of the general outline of it, especially because um the part where they cut his ear off, is it, I mean, this is kind of a spoilery review, I guess, because it's a true story. I'm not going to worry about the spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. You can't really spoil history. It was already written.
2: Yeah. Go
0: Um, go for, say whatever you want.
1: Right. So of course there's that part where his ear is cut off Mm -hmm. to finally get, um, J Paul Getty's attention that they were being serious. Mm -hmm. So that part I knew, but everything leading up to it, and you already put your finger on this very well, it's pretty generic stuff where not a whole lot happens. They just kind of keep him in his room, expect him to keep his mouth shut, and there's not a whole lot of development there. Well, they try. Uh, they or, tried
0: to do other stuff with him and the kidnappers, where, like, especially with the um, how, how do you say that guy's name? Um, it's uh, oh. uh, uh, a or Cinquanta. Um, mm-hmm the the main the, the, the main one of his first abductors where it's like he sees his face and then they have like kind of a, a like he can't really do anything to the th- Getty the third for seeing his face because like that that's their cash cow and mm-hmm. he promises that he won't rat him out so I guess they have some kind of bond because of that but it feels like all of a sudden later in the movie they're like t- they're really tight and I'm not really sure why beyond that and so much so that he he'll save him at the end and I didn't I didn't know that he even survived like I didn't know how it was gonna end so that ultimately made it more tense I don't really know how that stuff plays. For for someone that knows the full story, um, but like they they a lot of time with him to then even have that guy save him. But I don't really understand why they're friends in the first place. And then I looked up online afterward, and you know that like Getty the third like ended up within like ten years of his kidnapping, like had serious like trauma issues as a result of it. Um, did a lot of drugs, had some serious medical issues because of that. Became a quadriplegic and died before he got to age sixty. So. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird that, to like tell this, tell that much of the story from his perspective, and then what it's like for him to then be saved. When you're not really telling his full story anyway, it's like it kind of feels like it, it's ringing a little bit false to have to be have it be that triumphant to, for him to escape at the end at all. When that's really his life kind of went downhill from there. And like you said, you right? Rich, think... just to uh, add yeah, something go there, yeah. um, I had read up
1: a little bit before the movie, and I was actually kind of expecting that to be at least shown. Um, in the text right before the credits, mm-hmm. they talked a little bit about the Getty collection and that they donated everything to charity, mm-hmm. but they don't really touch on him mm-hmm. and what this whole kidnapping ordeal did to him. So, right. so it's like I don't, it doesn't feel like a happy ending necessarily, but I feel like they definitely,
0: it kind of implies everything's going to be okay. Like mom gets to yeah, control exactly. the purse strings. Now maybe he'll just go into the family business and live a perfectly charmed life. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're, if you're going to spend that much time on him, I feel like you should at least like give us the full scope of like how life also went for him after that, and um, because otherwise, I'd rather just have that be the catalyst for like us spending time with Getty Senior and what, mm-hmm. what the effect it has on him. Like, I don't know if you even need to show that much more than the ear, because I think the ear is very important. Where mm-hmm. it's like not just because of the sensational nature of that act, but just that like it doesn't get him to give him the money, which is insane. Right. And uh, you realize how much money this guy has, and now. I mean, th- I guess that actually might have happened after the thing where he's like, I'll only pay as much as I can take as a tax deduction or something like that, <laughs> which is also ridiculous in yeah. its own right. And I, I found that stuff really compelling. And we can mm-hmm. we can talk about Christopher Palmer now if you want. And like, I like I, I really did enjoy it. And I mean, I haven't, I mean, he's, he's obviously an actor that's been around a while. And I don't actually know if I've seen most of the stuff he's well known for. I mean, obviously, like, who hasn't seen, like, who hasn't seen The Sound of Music? But like... As far as stuff in recent years, he was in. I don't know if you have ever seen the movie Beginners. It came out in like 2010. It was kind of what. It's it, the one
1: he got. The, is that the one he got the Oscar for?
0: Did he? I don't. Did he win or did he just get nominated? I don't. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm pulling that up. Oh yeah. So yeah. So he, he got he got the Best Supporting Actor Oscar in 2011. And mm-hmm. he's really great in that. And but I was like, he's playing like a very soft person in that movie. He's, mm-hmm. um, it's a movie about a guy that's like. Ewan McGregor plays the guy that's coming to grips with his dad who came out as gay at age like 75 and like what that meant. That's right. And it's so it's, obviously you can imagine playing a very different kind of guy than J. Paul Getty. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to like really buy him as like this um, kind of menacing, greedy guy. And, and, I, and I did. And I found a lot of found it very compelling to see him show all these different crazy levels of greed, whether it be the tax deduction thing or the ear thing. And, um, and I, 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 I think my biggest thing is like, I, I, all that really worked for me building it up and I don't know if it, I think it should have spent even more time with him to have us understand what ultimately makes him give in because I don't think that one Mark Wahlberg monologue is like enough,
1: you know? That's true. Let me just touch on what you said that you couldn't really, or at least that you weren't really sure how he would do in this role because I have a little bit of the opposite experience with him. Okay. Um, I agree that I haven't seen a whole lot of his most famous work, but there are two roles I remember him in specifically from the last decade or so. Okay. And one is in Inside Man, which was um, Spike Lee's uh, yeah. bank robbery thriller with Denzel Washington. I haven't seen
0: that in a while. I forgot he was in that. Mm-hmm. He played this uh,
1: like really rich, wealthy guy who wants to make sure that um, his bank vault isn't touched by the robbers because he has some very shady documents in there about his past related mm-hmm. to the Nazis. Mm-hmm. And the other role I remember him in is um, in Syriana, actually, um, which was this oil thriller with George Clooney in it. Yeah. And he played this big um, oil guy who also had a lot of skeletons in his closet. Oh, so
0: maybe not a stretch for you then. <laughs>
1: to... Yeah, so yeah, on the contrary, I actually feel like this role of the kind of sinister, rich gentleman, Yeah. Um, it's the perfect part for him. And okay. in a sense, obviously, um, we'll never get to see Kevin Spacey in the role. And Ridley Scott has repeatedly said that he has no interest in releasing code, the deleted yeah. scenes, so to speak, which okay. I think is a good thing, but we can touch on that later.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but the more I think about it, the more it seems to me that Christopher Plummer is the more natural fit in that role. Because, first of all, he's actually old, which in this case is a really good thing. It gives him a sort of natural, I don't want to say charisma, but definitely an aura of sort of old... I'm trying to find the right word here.
0: Uh, explain, sort of a, seasoned
1: wise? No, yeah, I don't want to yeah, say exactly. wise.
0: But like, yeah, uh, I
1: was actually going for wise too, okay. but then I realized, no, that's not really the word that describes it. But just a kind of um, ragged toughness, I guess, Yeah. that you really just buy from the first moment he steps on screen. And and it, oh, go ahead. The, and, and the biggest moment where I think he really just kind of sells the difference between him and Kevin Spacey, Mm -hmm. is the only moment where we really get to see Kevin Spacey in the trailer during that infamous press conference when they ask him, so how much would you be willing to pay for your grandson's release? Mm -hmm. And he gives the very short response, nothing.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So Kevin Spacey does it in like a very intense manner. He hams it up, immediately dials it up to a 10. He almost feels like he's spitting it right at the journalist.
0: And he's also wearing 10 pounds of makeup to make up for that age thing that you mentioned.
1: Exactly. So it doesn't seem natural from the get-go. But Christopher Plummer, he just kind of smiles. You can almost imagine him chuckling a little bit on the inside, thinking, why would the guy ask me such a silly question? He should know better. Of course I'm not going to pay <laughs> anything. Right. So just comparing those two scenes, it's such a better choice to play that role. And you really can't praise him enough for just kind of strolling on set a month before um, the movie came out and kind of giving a performance that, it seems like he's been preparing for months. For
0: yeah, I, and I guess I didn't know a ton about the story. I didn't know how old he was supposed to be. So I, so when I first saw it was gonna be Kevin Spacey, I'm like, wow, it's Christopher Palmer. Maybe he's a little old for the role. And, well, <laughs> and, 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 and like, I mean, I knew they were trying to age Kevin Spacey up, but there's like a 20 year difference in their in their ages to begin with. So I was like, I I don't know where how, how old this character is supposed to be. So I was kind of skeptical, but like, I also knew it was gonna. It was gonna be. There's gonna be a lot going on if it had been Kevin Spacey. You know, like there was the makeup. There was just the fact that he's naturally, like you said, a slightly more hammy actor. And I was like, Christopher Palmer to me seems very understated. Do you need someone uh-huh. that do you, Do you need something more like the Kevin Spacey performance to like make this work? I don't really know what this guy's supposed to be like, but Kevin Spacey is just such a charismatic, colorful guy that and is gonna seem a little more. Vibrant that like is this the right guy because like you said I I'd seen Christopher Plummer in different roles but no I, I I really enjoyed him and the one thing I didn't know going into the movie like I said I didn't know a lot about the story was that I didn't know the story of the family and just the way that the the trailer had been cut I was just going off of the trailer and I thought like they were just like totally estranged and right. and that like they were asking him to like pay pay ransom on a grandson he didn't know uh-huh. so so then when when it when they actually kind of established in the movie that. He was actually closer to this grandkid probably than like any of his other grandkids and he's like yeah, his own
1: son for sure yeah
0: yeah and then he's still saying no so that that was like the first indication like wow there's something really like off of like crazy crazy greedy off whatever adjective you want to use about this guy and like I thought he and I thought he conveyed that pretty well and that was just like a good starting point for the movie that kind of engaged me even if, like I said, like, it kept going back to the kidnapping stuff. That didn't, they didn't so much do it. But I like yeah. trying to get inside that guy's head. And that was probably the biggest thing that worked for me in the movie was just seeing the different levels of greed to him. You know?
1: Yeah, and the funny thing to me is I feel like if he had been a fictional villain, people would have sat there thinking, nah, this guy is way too evil. <laughs> they're, they're exaggerating this way too much. And that's the fascinating thing. This was a real guy. And I'm sure they took some liberties to make things a little bit more engaging from the drama aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of his behavior is exactly what made him so notorious in real life. So just that, just those scenes where they keep coming back to his conversations with Mark Wahlberg, where he lays out his philosophy about money and this whole idea that getting rich is easy, but being rich is difficult— Mm-hmm. He has such a twisted worldview, and he has somehow find a, found a way to rationalize all of this, that it's just absolutely
0: baffling. <laughs> he, he thinks he's a, he thinks he's a country. He's like, well, if I negotiate on the one on one on one grandson, then I'm just going to have all my grandsons being kidnapped and for, for ransom. So, I, how can I be expected to do that? It's just not practical.
1: <laughs> right, and then of course you have that wonderful scene where he tours this sort of. Roman mansion with his grandson, Mm -hmm. and he keeps talking about how he used to live there, and how he had all of his wives there, and you're thinking, what is this guy going on Mm -hmm. about? And then you realize, oh, he actually sees himself as a reincarnation of the Roman Emperor Hadrian. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely incredible to observe a guy like that, and you almost have to keep reminding yourself that this guy was... A living and breathing guy 40, 50 years ago. And I just think he's a much better, more compelling villain than anybody could have ever written up in a movie script.
0: Yeah. I didn't realize Christopher Plummer is 88 years old. Uh mm-hmm. huh. I, I don't know. For some reason, I just thought he was like. I'm just like. I just had his like uh, Wikipedia up, and I just. I don't know. I just assumed he was like 80. I didn't. I mean, that, that, like. We I mean we didn't. I mean, we we've mentioned like the whole recasting thing and how it's impressive mm-hmm. they did it in that short of a time, but like, I I mean I was already impressed with the logistics of it, you know, because I I thought in, in a way like the way that Kevin Spacey trailer was cut was I thought maybe he's really just only in a few key scenes and it's more about mm-hmm. the other stuff going on, but like he's in most of the first half of the movie and then obviously has some key scenes in the second half and mm-hmm. I mean, for an. In eighty, like well i guess he turned he turned 88 so on december 13th so he was 87 and probably turned 88 like while they were finishing his reshoots and like was able to shoot like half of a big movie at that age and um that, that i mean that's just, that's just pretty impressive like you said he walked in and for all you could have known he could have been reading that script two years ago preparing for the role you know there's no signs of someone that's just like coming in and just reading it off the page without any kind of thought behind it you know
1: Right, and uh, speaking of 80-plus-year-olds, how impressive is it that Ridley Scott, confronted with such a difficult scenario to either release the movie with Kevin Spacey in it Mm -hmm. and risk that audiences are going to stay away or try and somehow get him out of the movie, he decided to fully commit to recasting the role. And for several weeks, apparently, he... Went back to the set, reshot the movie, re-edited it, and the guy turned 80 this year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it's just incredible that to see that kind of dedication from a guy who realistically could have retired a while ago already. Um, he already has a good legacy. I know you don't like the original Blade Runner that much. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sure what, what your thought on the first Alien movie is. But this guy already has a very incredible legacy. So there's no reason for him to keep going at this point but he still finds ways at this age to really um kind of open up new frontiers in Hollywood.
0: Yeah, and I, and while I I don't I mean I I can't say there's like a ton of his movies that I've like uh like definitely like really loved um in recent years. Like I mean I, I I'm not a fan of these recent alien stuff. I haven't seen the original alien yeah. since I was like since I was like really young, but I mean like I I, I've enjoyed like random movies of his, you know. Like I, yeah. I mean, I like I like I liked Thelma and Louise, and I liked uh, Gladiator and Matchstick uh, Men's like a really random one that I remember liking the first time I saw it, and then American Gangster. Like there's random stuff I like, mm-hmm. but I just I respect the fact that even if like a lot of these movies like aren't great, like he's doing like these large scale things at like that age, it's got to take more energy to make. It's got to take more as even though like. No one's going to sit here and try and argue something like Exodus, Gods, and Kings was like some great work of art. It's like he's still pushing himself to do like big things when he's really old, like you said. So I, I have respect for that. And just based on when the movie dropped, like he was, it was a financial risk, but I don't think if like they released the movie, Like, no one was going to blame him for Kevin Spacey. I mean, a lot of these Uh things Kevin Spacey was alleged of of having done were, like, well in the past and obviously well before they really shot this movie, you know? So I don't think he would have taken a lot of personal heat for it. But, like, Uh it's such such a crazy thing to do to what they did with the whole reshoot thing that, like, I think – I I mean no one really had that expectation of him like no one's like expected him to do that you know they might have stayed away from the movie but like no one's like you got to go reshoot that without him or we're going to think you're bad for putting out a movie where you're associated with someone that did bad things like that wasn't going to be the exact reaction but he's like he just took it upon himself to get it done anyway you know
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh. yeah as
1: we said already it's um, all the more impressive that the final product makes
0: it look seamless yeah that was the other thing I was going to say was it doesn't feel like it's all choppy Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I guess it's different from your typical editing job it's not like you're, it was like a bad cut of a movie that you had to go back and make a good cut it was like we're just going to put in these specific scenes but like it still felt I mean I didn't really notice anything particularly off about any of those scenes they didn't feel rushed and they didn't feel like they weren't well done you know it, it, felt, it felt of a piece with everything else.
1: Hmm. Let me ask you a quick question yeah. um, have you been following the stories over the last two days about uh, the Difference in paychecks that Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Williams received for their reshoots, apparently. Yes. Let me just ask you how you feel about it, because obviously it doesn't directly relate to the quality of the movie, but I'm still intrigued, considering it's such a big part of um, the public perception. Well,
0: yeah, of- there's there's obviously just a large discussion that goes on that's going on, like in Hollywood in general, about gender pay gaps, because it's a big. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it is a big problem in general. Just like on average, when the man, man when there's a male lead and a female lead like equal in a movie, like. The female lead more often than not is going to make less, and it shouldn't be that way. And I, I remember Passengers being a big deal because Jennifer Lawrence made more than Chris Pratt, and that mm-hmm. just, it just doesn't happen a ton. And here, I don't know how much their base salaries were, but uh, I think what, what, what people have kind of figured out over the last couple of days, though, is that it's maybe not so much the – it was more on Mark Wahlberg, I guess, because he went and negotiated that. Whereas a lot of other people disagreed to do it on the cheap for the betterment of the movie, including Michelle Williams. Uh-huh. My, my, but one of my initial thoughts was that, well, I wouldn't have a problem with him making more than her for the reshoots in a vacuum, but he shouldn't make like fifteen hundred times as much because she only had she was only in the same frame as uh, Christopher Plummer like twice. You know, uh-huh. there's the scene where the family meets him, and there's the scene where the like where they first meet uh, Getty Senior. And then there's a the scene in the boardroom at the end where they're uh, doing the divorce negotiations, and that's it. And Wahlberg, uh-huh. Wahlberg's with them a ton. So he probably needed to be on set for a lot more of the reshoots than she did. So uh-huh. like, if if it had been like, oh, he got paid like $200,000 and she got paid like $50,000, I would have been like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense based on the screen time that they clearly had with the guy that caused the reshoots. But the, the fact that, like, he made like what 1.5 million and she made like a thousand because she just took yeah. base pay per diem. It sounds like she just did that, and then he did it uh, because he's kind of Mark Wahlberg's kind of just, like, ironically enough, we're talking about this movie, but he might just be a little greedy. Like, there's been other stories, <laughs> there's been other stories that have come out over the last few days, that just about him and money in general, that jibe with this story. But it sounds like it's probably more on him. But if if it was something where like the studio like came to them with like th- those offers that were that different, that would be a huge problem. But it sounds like this yeah. is more an indictment of like him trying to like get rich off of the whole scenario, you know?
1: Yeah. Which is unfortunate because this would have been a great time to send a very positive signal, especially because the whole thing um, was such a trendsetter in the whole me too movement. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you watched the golden globes on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, the new message for this year in Hollywood is time's up. We're going to move forward. We're going to do more for gender equality in terms of the pay gap, as you mentioned, um, and opportunities in movies in general. So how poor does it look for Mark Wahlberg that Michelle Williams was willing to do it for just $1,000 and he took advantage of a
0: pretty kind of shitty situation? He put put, put him in a bind because look how much Uh he's in the movie with him. Like They needed him to do it and oh, exactly. they wanted and they wanted to get it out for this awards friendly release date so they kind of had to kowtow to him when he did it. So it's a bad look for him for sure. But like as far as like Hollywood on the whole, like the bigger issue is more like the studios who ultimately cut those checks I'd say than it is like the male actors. Like I don't like he wasn't doing it at the expense directly at her, but it's still a really bad look for him. Like it would be in his best interest to like put the difference in their paychecks towards some kind of charitable cause or something yep. like that, you know. I would agree with that. Um, Good point. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I I agree, and like I mean, I hope, I mean, I hope people keep talking about that issue a lot. Um, but like in terms of the movie itself, yeah, I, I I hadn't even necessarily thought about in those terms how it was just the, the movie actually was a really good story in that regard, and now it's getting kind of overshadowed by this. And uh, I don't even know if Wahlberg's really made a public statement. I mean, he's going to have to say something at some point, you know? Um,
1: right. But just um, to tie back to what I said at the beginning, I feel like that is going to be. Um, both a blessing and a curse for the movie. On one hand, I don't think it would have been nearly as much in the public eye if it hadn't been surrounded by as much drama in terms of the recasting, and now, of course, the story about the paychecks. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, even on its own terms, it's a really intriguing story, um especially in a day and age where I feel like true crime is kind of making a comeback um, in mm-hmm. entertainment. We also have American Crime Story on TV right now. Uh, The assassination of Gianni Versace is coming out next week. So I think people have a very um, strong interest in this kind of stuff. And I think it's a good opportunity for them to uh, explore that, especially because, and I'm not sure if you know this, they're also turning this whole uh, Getty kidnapping into a TV show now that's yeah. coming out in march.
0: Yeah, yeah. I forgot I forgot that I I think there's a fairly well-known director I think that's going to be in charge of it too. I can't remember. Danny, Danny Boyle. Right, 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 right. So, um it's kind it's kind of like how uh the last last year they had or in 2016 you had the two OJ things and now it's like you got two things like this just random thing like all of a sudden back in the news. Um but uh yeah, I agree and I think I mean on the whole it seems like we are both kind of mixed on the movie in general, which I um on this that, that was the, the the other one thing I wanted to ask you though was that um like I said I think my ultimate big thing that I would just wish it had done a little better was that we had gotten a better sense of like why he ultimately paid the money you know and I and I kind yeah. of I kind of mentioned that earlier how I thought that well, even if you want to say Mark Wahlberg's acting was good in that one scene, I don't, I don't know if that should have been enough given everything we had learned about him to that point. Like there had to have been more to it. Uh, did you have any kind of thoughts on just how the movie kind of brought it, brought, kind of wound down to a resolution outside of the final sequence where they rescue him? Um, just as far as the ransom in general and how that whole arc comes to an end.
1: Yeah, I think you kind of touched on uh, the biggest problem already. I think it just becomes a little too melodramatic for my taste at the end. Where also that scene where. Again, it's a uh, spoiler zone where he dies. (laughs) That whole scene was just kind of so unnecessary. It seems like unnecessarily, um, it brings like an unnecessary sense of closure that I didn't need. I didn't need him to die at that point in time.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, That wasn't really a part of the movie that I felt like it built up to. Mm -hmm. And I think you're also right when you say that for 95% of the movie, He's this incredibly greedy guy who doesn't have a cent to spare for his grandson, and then all of a sudden, yeah, he does a complete turnaround um, because apparently Mark Wahlberg appealed to his sense of family, but he didn't give a shit about that up until that
0: point. So, And you're talking about this melodramatic stuff, too. Um, I, I just kind of looked up the dates. So – Getty Jr. was – or Getty III was rescued in on December 15th, 1973, uh-huh. and Getty Sr. didn't die till June of 1976. And that makes right. it almost look like it was a contemporaneous thing. So that was like one liberty that they took, which kind of unnecessary, you know?
1: Yeah, agreed. But as we already said about the whole happy ending thing, they wanted to give Michelle Williams' character, Gail, the opportunity to take over the trust, take over the company, and that made the whole thing seem like – um a very nice little bow that they could wrap wrap it up with, um and again, I didn't need that, especially because a lot of the movie didn't really strike me as a very like plot driven drama. A lot of it was very journalistic almost where it was presenting facts, it did a very good job kind of outlining the important key moments of his kidnapping of his time when he was captured um of the whole negotiation that was going on behind the scenes, so the ending was just kind of overkill, um, where it tried to make too many good things happen at once, um, and it really didn't need to provide that sort of closure. At least I wasn't looking for it. Well,
0: that was that was one thing that was interesting about the thing with her like taking over was I thought it seemed out of nowhere. I mean, I guess it really happened, but mm-hmm. he says earlier in the movie that he has fourteen grandchildren, so I guess he had other kids other sons besides getty jr so i I didn't really understand how it just all of a sudden fell to her not that it's it's a minor detail but i was just like that's kind of weird because he obviously has other kids and now like his ex-daughter and all is just gonna take over everything good for her Um, also because
1: i mean it's not like she really showed any interest in taking over the business at any point i don't really seem to recall that she had any major qualifications for that either Mm -hmm. um so it just kind of came out of nowhere you're right it's not really a decision that makes sense on his part
0: well, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, so I, that's my thing is that my biggest thing overall is that I, I really like how they built him up, and they established just how greedy he was, and these are, it's very bizarre how he held out in the way he did. And the resolution just doesn't really totally jibe with the rest of that, and I think he could have mm-hmm. spent a lot more time on just trying to get inside his head and exactly what's making him tick aside from his bottom line because something ultimately does make him tick. And I think in real life there had to have been more to it than – the the chase guy played Mike Mark Wahlberg saying I'm going to talk some sense into him for two minutes and I think it would have the movie just would have been I w- if, if if I'm saying I gave it three out of five stars when I did my letterbox review I maybe give it a fourth I, I would add a fourth just if we could have like spent more time with him and and maybe less time on the kidnapping. And I think that's that's my biggest takeaway from the movie, which I think we both agree was definitely entertaining and well done in parts. And that was my one thing. I just wish it had done better, and I would have just had a much more positive view of it overall. But at least I can say it's not like it was something I hated that I wanted to get away from. And that's the, and that was what I, I, I promised I'd uh, read Anthony's thoughts at some point. He said, <laughs> I, I didn't hate it, but it sort of lacked charisma from the storytelling and definitely from the actors. And you can check Anthony's Twitter later, where I'm sure he'll elaborate on it. But I <laughs> I guess, we, um, he, he, like he's saying, I, I, I'm not exactly sure what actors he thinks uh, we're lacking, and I'm sure he'll uh, make the thoughts clear on that later. But I, th- I think we both we're both in agreement, though, because that was the other one thing I wanted to touch on before we finish up. Was you said you uh, were really impressed with Michelle Williams and uh-huh. um, and how she's uh done the done the grieving whatever uh person you want to put before it whether it's wife Mm or mom thing pretty well i mean Uh because well yes she is spending a lot of it waiting by the phone it feels like a performance that's more important than just someone waiting by the phone
1: yes i completely agree with that she has uh, there's just a very i guess raw authenticity to her performance you really feel her desperation Mm -hmm. and you feel frustrated in a good way Um, as a viewer when she keeps trying to get Getty to actually pay the money because you feel for her because she's talking to a wall essentially and not getting anything back and you really want her to succeed. And then there's that incredibly heartbreaking scene too where uh, she discovers that little statue in Mm. uh, the closet because there was that one moment where um, the grandson got it from the grandfather and was told this is worth several million dollars here. It's a gift to you. And then of course we find out it's nothing but a souvenir from a souvenir shop.
0: I kind of um, saw that coming once she went to the closet, but it was still, it was still a nice touch. To, yeah, that's it, and, and it, another thing that said a lot about Getty without having to necessarily be, have him saying
1: it. Yeah, it's an incredibly heartbreaking moment. And I think the movie actually succeeds in that sense because Michelle Williams really drives it forward. You really get that sense of despair. Mm -hmm. that she felt uh, not knowing whether she would get her son back because this ridiculous old dinosaur refused to pay the money. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge credit to her, especially because Christopher Plummer gives such a dominating performance that she is still able to really shine in this movie. And I think she also got a Golden Globe nomination for it. Yep. So, yeah, it's being rewarded. And I'm happy to see that. She's a great actress and also currently actually in The Greatest Showman, where she plays a completely different character, I believe. So,
0: yeah, did you see that yet? Not yet. No, but
1: I I'm I'm might curious. still.
0: The reviews weren't great, but I've had enough friends that went and saw it and still enjoyed it that I I might try and make it. But we have a, we have a busy couple of weeks coming up with the movies with all the stuff getting um, the late releases that hadn't gone quite wide before the new year. So I might yep. I, I might still make it to that. And good for and that, and that's the other thing. Like you, you mentioned, she got the awards consideration. It's cool that uh, Ridley Scott. Went through all the work to get this done, and the studio put the money to get it done. Cause I don't. She's not gonna get an Oscar nomination, but it's nice that she got a Golden Globe one. And Christopher yeah. Plummer, really good chance of getting an Oscar nomination. I don't know. So while at the same time and Ridley Scott actually did get a golden globe nomination which maybe doesn't even happen if they don't do the recasting thing so it ultimately Agreed. helped him but it was nice that if if he didn't do that if he wasn't up for that task like i said no one would have personally blamed him but the movie doesn't get the same response you know it's it's too shrouded in the controversy even if aside from spacey it's just as well done as this version of it was no it, it's just it, there's too much going on with it for it to get any recognition and um it's nice that like Just that he did it for everyone involved in the film, that it's just a more positive experience. From everyone, from the cast and the crew, they can just look back on this as a much more positive experience. It turned out well because they did go through the effort to get it redone.
1: Right, and even though he more than likely will not get a nomination as Best Director for this, I mean, he really shouldn't because it's such a wide field this year.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of interestingly directed movies, more so than this one, Mm -hmm. but... But at the same time, it's a very different um achievement
1: in directing that deserves to be recognized. Mm-hmm. Uh not in the traditional sense, but as we said already, it took a huge amount of commitment to uh come in at five minutes before midnight and rework the entire thing. And even if we won't get any hardware for it, I think it's definitely something that should be recognized and especially given his sort of mixed bag of entries in his filmography over the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Um I think that really speaks volumes about the kind of director he is and um, some of the projects we might still see from him. So yeah, I'm more excited for his uh, future body of work than I have been in quite (laughs) some time, to be honest,
0: which is is an interesting thing to say about an 80 year old. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. uh, Yeah. um, Is there anything else I didn't touch on? Any other points you want to make about the movie?
1: Um, No, I think we covered uh, everything pretty well, but I will say I'm very excited to see uh, the new TV show trust and to kind of compare and contrast, uh, what kind of take they do um, on this material? Because now I've definitely acquired a taste for it, and I'm curious how you're going to expand this premise onto a 10-episode season. It's
0: going to be 10 episodes. Yes. See, I, that seems like a lot. Like, I think, I think mm-hmm. this, I think, it, I could, I could see how you could do like a six-episode thing about it. You know, and. I think that would actually solve some of the issues I had with this. I'd imagine that we're gonna spend enough time with Getty that we're gonna get his transform or gonna understand his transformation maybe a little more than we did in this movie. But other than that, I don't really know where you're getting 10 hours of material at, beyond the two hours and fifteen minutes we just saw. So I mean, I guess they're gonna be investigating the different leads. Some of that stuff happened pretty quickly. they They yeah. find that body and all of a sudden they know right exactly where to go to find where the um, to find where they had been holding Getty the third. So, right. you might say that. More...
1: And then Mark Wahlberg's character gets that piece of information where he finds out that um, Getty Jr. had talked about kidnapping himself at one point. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he immediately jumps to the conclusion aha, that's exactly what must have happened. Let me mm-hmm. present that conclusion. And it makes him look like an incompetent idiot. But I also think that's probably due to time constraints. If they would had more time, I'm sure he would have pursued some of his leads a little bit more thoroughly.
0: Right. So we're, the, him, the show so might, the show might just be a little bit more of a detective show than the movie was. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's definitely um, one interesting way to look at it. I'll, 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 definitely have to check it out. Um, if yeah, that's cool that Danny Boyle's doing it. He's a, he's a director that I like. So, um, mm-hmm. I, do, do we already know who any, like the actors are that are going to be in that? Um,
1: yeah, it's actually a pretty uh, impressively cast, uh, show. So Hillary Swank, she's going to be, uh, Gail.
2: Hmm.
1: And then Donald Sutherland, President Snow from The Hunger Games, he's yeah. going to be Getty. Ah, and, uh, I, I, I can see that. <laughs> and interestingly enough, Fletcher Chase is going to be uh, Brendan Fraser apparently. So, huh?
0: I haven't seen him in a while. <laughs> yeah,
1: still good. around apparently. Good, so it's good, quite for, an inter- good for him. Yeah, quite an interesting group of names. So uh, yeah, we'll see about that.
0: All right. Well, um, I think I think we're about done here. Uh Fred, yeah. I, I enjoyed this. I think normally I'd like I I don't know if you I don't think you really have a big Twitter presence. I normally tell people to plug their Twitter here and you write I, I mentioned how you write all these really good movie reviews, but you're not gonna Facebook friend every random listener that we have. <laughs> so I think people can search Fred Cobb, K O L B on Letterboxd. Maybe they can check out some of your reviews if you post them there. That's uh, more you you a, there, yes. that's a little bit more of a public forum. If you enjoyed hearing Fred talk and you wanna Get more of his takes. He, he, he puts a lot of thought into the stuff he writes. I just kind of do like a, a two minute stream of consciousness thing when I, whenever I write on letterbox and that's about it. So Fred's very insightful in writing and I thought he'd give us some really good insights here. So, uh, Fred, thanks a lot for doing this.
1: Yeah, thanks for letting yeah. me join. I mean, I you always listen to your guys' podcast, and it's like watching somebody else play a video game. You <laughs> just you just can't wait to jump in and actually participate. So uh, well, I appreciate.
0: I, I, I appreciate that you that you take the time to listen whenever we do something. You talk about, and um, we'll have to have you on again when when Anthony has functioning internet, because I, I think it'd be cool. <laughs> I think it'd be cool to um, see how uh, see how your personalities mesh, because I think he, he definitely has different a different way of thinking about things than you do, and as as we all do. So um, I thought it was cool that we kind of. Had we were able to have a good conversation when I kind of started the thing off by saying that yeah we have really divergent opinions on some stuff. So, uh, but yeah, and as, as usual, if you want to um, find Anthony on Twitter, it's a clambake a k l a m b a k e. I'm at Josh Jurnevoy J O S H J U R N O V O Y, and the podcast Twitter is fifty at fifty two and fifty two pod, and the email is. 52 and 52pod at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again so, thanks again to Fred and thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.